Hello and welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Dollar Coltman. Boys, this is our 99th episode. 99 wow. episodes of Hattrick in the books. That does not include specials and we did a couple like mock drafts for the Kraken. Those already put us over the century mark technically, but uh, in this iteration of this podcast, we have cracked 99 episodes off the bat. We are one hit away from 100. We'll do that in a week's time. So it's kind of like the penultimate of the century mark. Braden, looking back, your favorite episode of all of the 99 we've done. Oh my gosh. No Gretzky uh, reference here. I hey, had this episode could be a great one. Let's see how I'm it goes. I'm pretty sure. Here's the problem. I'm pretty sure we did this episode. I had no uh, no time to prep this, so I'm pretty sure we had an episode where we listed off some of our favorite Oilers of all time. And that was that was one of my all time favorite episodes on the podcast. All right, that's pretty. Where good. I'm Elliot. pretty sure we mentioned Gretzky and Mr. Number 99. Elliot, you got a favorite looking back at the uh, 99 episodes that have preceded this one. I guess 98, technically, that have preceded this one. That's how you count. Yeah, it would definitely be this one, I think. <laughs> what are you, like in- Tom Brady? The next championship is always the best <laughs> one? Yeah, three three minutes in, this feels really strong. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I think favorite, most proud of. I thought we had a really good conversation um, when everything that occurred around the Chicago Blackhawks happened. Um, was that a year ago? However long ago it was. Yeah. Um, a little over a year ago, I uh, was really proud of the honesty and the vulnerability of that episode, and I think it was really filled the mandate for me in terms of what this podcast is all about. So, and so, that, and so nice, great. so nice after all this time to see that you know they've truly been held accountable by the NHL and aren't just going to be rewarded with the next generational talent, having never once paid any kind of consequences as an organization. But you're right. No, I I, I agree that I, I I've always felt which like I think our, we might have predicted on that show. Yeah. <laughs> I've always felt like our best work came has come when we've had actual really like difficult conversations to have and to dig into. Obviously, all the Brittany Griner stuff, we, I think we've covered pretty well and had the big picture conversations, those things too. Anyway, if you've been with us for all 99 episodes so far, we appreciate it. It has been uh, a lot of fun to do. Next week, we will celebrate our 100th episode. Uh, we hope you'll be with us for that. Let's get to it, boys. Here's topic one. Okay. Topic one, um, we have we're going to talk about the finals shortly here, but there was a final that was that that was played tonight uh, in Kamloops. The Memorial Cup has been awarded, and it has been awarded to the Quebec Ramparts. They uh, beat the Seattle Thunderbirds. Um, it was a very exciting tournament. I don't know how much of it you caught, but it, the Memorial Cup is always for me one of those really exciting um, tournaments because you've got all of these young players who obviously have a lot to play for. They know it's the biggest stage in junior hockey. They know that all the scouts are cramming the rafters of the, whatever building they're playing in across the country. You've got three champions of three different leagues and a host. In some years, the host is kind of like they're just lucky and happy to be there. This year, the Blazers were a very competitive team in Kamloops and 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 deserved in many ways to be there. They went out in a tiebreak game against the Peterborough Peets, who eventually uh, also found their way home early. But we had Patrick Waugh leading the Quebec Ramparts to the final and the Memorial Cup. That is not what we're going to talk about. What I want to talk about is related to the Patrick Waugh part. There are currently four head coaching vacancies in the NHL. 
We have a rumor this weekend that Mike Babcock may be the next in line to take over in Columbus. So that would be a return to the NHL for him, having last coached in Toronto and leaving under sort of cloudy, but not completely clear circumstances, some accusations, but never actual like clearly defined ones um, around like bullying or kind of the style of coaching. Not that there aren't other coaches currently in the NHL who I would argue probably have equal or worse reputations for such behavior, but I digress. But what I wanted to look at are like, who are the big candidates in your mind for these jobs? Who is not an NHL coach right now that you think either should be or could be outside of like Patrick Waugh? And if it is, when you look at those top candidates, where where could these guys fit? Like, is Patrick Waugh, should Patrick Waugh be in the NHL? Even if he, like, the question is, does he want to be? Clearly, he's loving what he's doing, and he's very good at it. But then I think there's a lot of people out there who are thinking Patrick Waugh wasn't that bad in the NHL. I mean, he was big and loud and brash, but that's Patrick Waugh. So I ask, I'll, I'll start with you, Braden. If you look, when you look at it, and I, I can give you the rundown of the teams that are currently without a coach, uh, right. looking, looking for a coach, where obviously it's, it's the Anaheim Ducks who fired Dallas Akins, the Calgary Flames who, um, you know, moved both general manager and head coach at the offseason, the Columbus Blue Jackets, as I mentioned, and currently the New York Rangers. Now, most other teams seem to be happy with where they are. It's possible somebody's going to leave, but I doubt either team that's still in it is going to go. And if you've made it this far in the playoffs, you're probably happy. So let's say it's just those four spots currently. Uh, who are the guys on your radar? Who are the guys you think should be coaching in the NHL who either aren't right now or, yeah. Well, we, I, we, we did talk about a little bit about the Blackhawks situation. I'd be curious, you know, Joel Quenville really was part of the initial group that is now the Florida Panthers in the finals. I'm, I'm curious if they, I mean, I'd be curious if, if they figured out a situation where he is back in the league. I, I can't really answer the question as to who out of the league should be. Uh, I'm not that connected with some of the younger coaches, but when you look at a guy like Patrick, well, I do think that, I mean, th this is how that path goes. You have a lot of success in another league, usually a feeder league like this. And, and, you know, he's, he's done a really great job with that organization in Quebec. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if he saw Patrick in the NHL next year. And if he's in the NHL, where do you think he fits best if it's those four teams? Because it's got to be one of those four teams to see him in the NHL next year. Unless, of course, he's replacing someone mid-season. It's an interesting shot of him greeting Jerome McGinley. So I'd be curious if now that he's in the front office in Calgary, they're, they're starting to have some chatter around, hey, is this, would this be a good fit? They've, you know, they, they, I don't think they wanted to fire Sutter and then they did. So I think they're looking to kind of stop that gap and, and, make something good out of what's going on in Calgary. Elliot, anybody jump out for you as, as potential NHL head coaches that aren't there right now? Uh, so I'm not, this is not necessarily my area of expertise, but there's a name that I keep hearing, which was uh, Joe Sacco from uh, Boston. It was their assistant coach. And I think actually interviewed for the job uh, that eventually went to Montgomery um, and stuck around at the club. I mean, world like, record-breaking season out of Boston. Um, but going to be interesting what that team looks like next year. Uh, if there's an opportunity, it might go to him. I mean, the other one that you hear oh, about. And, and don't forget, Joe Sacco was part of that instrumental Colorado group. That, that's right. That became, uh, you know, finals group. Definitely be one. So that's another, that's, that's an interesting one. I hear in terms of, I'm always interested in sort of like 
I think we're getting closer and closer to uh, the top job going to a woman and Jessica Campbell, who currently coaches an AHL team. You know, that's one that uh, I've heard rumbled around a couple of times. This last one I'll say, and again, goes to our the elite two. <laughs> it's a nod to the lead to the opening of this show. But you have to think at some point here, Joel Quenville is going to be back in the conversation in some way or another. I think he's currently on suspension, but there was some talk that he'd be meeting with Bentman over the summer to sort of talk about like, have you, what have you done? What will that look like? You know, anyway, I, I, I sigh. I don't endorse it. I'm not happy about it. I think you guys can all tell from the tone of my voice, but the NHL is what the NHL is. I'm a realist. Joel Quenville has won a lot of hockey games. I imagine at some point, that might be a thing as well, too. Maybe not this. Yeah, though. yeah, and obviously, Braden, I think you you felt the same way. So when you look at it, yeah, that, I, the Rangers. I can because, see Joel Quinville with the Rangers, and that's a good 100%. fit. I mean, that's the other 100%. thing is you. I think that Elliot, you're bringing up a lot of people who necessarily haven't had their first shot, and 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 that's possible. Like like Sacco has been in the NHL as an assistant, but he hasn't been a head coach. I mean, there's Reardon too, right? Who no, Sacco was the head coach in Colorado before he was fired. Oh, was he? I thought he was only. Yeah, an it was this weird situation where it was Joe Sackick as the GM. Joe was, was he there for a full season? Yeah, I thought couple, he was only there for a part of a season. Huh? Oh, well, double check that. I, I'm just misremembering that. Well, we know how you misremembering. were. Yeah, he was. He was at the at the early end of the McKinnon years, 09 to 13. He was there that. Yeah. Long. Yeah, man. Well, they, and I guess they. You got to consult me next time. Is this before Patrick Waugh or after Patrick Waugh? After. Okay. So the other ones though, for me, like I look to, I, the thing I, I, I always think about is it's like, you have two choices in the NHL and we kind of have seen a movement towards this. There's this real wave of new guys who are getting their first opportunities. Jay Woodcroft, Sheldon Keefe, guys like that, who have, who have worked and earned their spots by being in the AHL or coaching, you know, and then there's always that other crop of experienced guys who've been around, maybe had some success somewhere and just haven't found their next place to land. And there's still a stable of those guys right now. And I would argue at least two of these teams are going to go with experience because they're looking to develop young players. Yeah. They're looking to get better. Right. I, I think Anaheim having seen, having struggled with Eakins, who was only on his second head coaching NHL opportunity and second failure at doing so would now look for a more experienced person. I'm going to give you a few names, the jump out to me from that list. You've got Alain Vigno who obviously coached pretty well here in Vancouver, took them to the Stanley cup finals, Rangers. pretty good with the Rangers took them to the Stanley cup finals. And then yeah, hasn't, good. you know, hasn't been there for, for a while. He's reached the postseason 10 of his 13 um, past tries before being fired. There's also Dave Tippett who we know is out there. And I think there was a lot of speculation that had Seattle struggled this year. Tippett might've gone back there because he had previous relationships with that organization before they joined the league, but obviously they did fine. They did really well, but he's out there and, and experienced enough that there may be a team that thinks they'd like what he has to offer. Um, and then the other one for me is Travis Green, who also was out here in Vancouver and actually I think got kind of shortchanged because he played, his teams played really, really well uh, with what they had. I think they had very poor management and, and bad asset management. They brought on some dumb contracts that limited them. They had a very good bubble playoff. If you remember in Edmonton, they got all the way to the Western conference final uh, with a team that shouldn't have been there. And that was a great yeah. example of a young coach. But for me, he's like the, the um, Dallas Eakins example. He's had a taste. We've seen a little bit, but is there a team that's ready to give him a second sort of crack at it? And then there's one last name who Edmonton Oilers fans remember, and I think deserves a second chance in the NHL, and that's Todd Nelson, who 
really got shortchanged oh, in Edmonton wow. because he came wow. in halfway through that year and, and made the Oilers better while he was there with a, again, a really bad situation. But it's one of those things where like you, some of these guys toil away in the AHL waiting for that opportunity. And when the opportunity comes there, it's like, okay, here you go. Here's a, here's a huge, you know, truck of shit, do the best you can to keep it on the road. And that's what but they were did doing. Did he like, succeed or precede uh, Ken Hitchcock? Precede. Like, it was one of those like blips. Of he, succeeded, he, he preceded, he preceded um, uh, Todd, uh, Todd McClellan. McClellan, right? Because McClellan and McClellan and Shirelli came in after that debacle, yeah. so right. they were the next. And also, upon receiving the draft pick that got us Connor McDavid, exactly. Yeah, Jordan, I think you're putting. This is an interesting topic. Like one of the things that's kind of weird about coaching decisions, more so than anything else, maybe affects management, but not to the same level. Is a lot of it's really <laughs> determined by you know we talk about it all the time when you're a general manager, you kind of get two coaches, right? And so you might get your all-star for your first one. And then your second one has to, you know, it needs to work and how you make that determination um, is really up to style, but like really consequential. So I think about someone like Jay Woodcroft, right? Like it was very clear that Dave Tippett was the one that was supposed to be the answer and that didn't work. And they weren't going to spend more money on coaching. They needed to find an answer from within. And it was sort of like, Either um, Holland was going to be behind the bench or he was going to have to pull someone from inside. Now it ended up working out really great. Jay Redcross done a great job and had done a good job in the HL. So, you know, that was a smart decision. It worked out really well. Whereas you do see teams like Toronto eight or nine years, eight years ago, because that's why we're talking about it. The eight year deal, $5 million per for uh, Mike Babcock and like going all out in these sorts of things. And it's really situational and organizational dependent. Those are two really extreme examples and there's a million different ways. Things in between, but can I say another extreme, a really extreme example? You just said five for 5 million. Is that right? Eight by five, eight years by 5 million. So Monty Williams in the NBA just signed a six year, $70 million contract. The, 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 it's <laughs> yeah well very different financial situations it's you're right crazy you're right it's crazy um the, the pressure the all of that i would make, i mean if you uh, want to speak about other head coaching vacancies the nba is a whole other conversation There's oh for sure 100%. so many so many 100%. big coaches i would go back to where i started with this with the patrick Watt question i'll answer it for myself i don't think we see patrick Watt in the nhl this upcoming season um because i don't think that if like, I think for Patrick Waugh, I think he likes the control and full, like sort of totality of the role he gets to play in Quebec. He's the owner. He's the general manager. He's the coach. He it's his team. They he just owns wanna... it too. Yeah. Oh my goodness. They, he, he, he runs the show, which is the Patrick Waugh way. And I think that he appreciates and likes that job. Look, he just won a Memorial cup. He's got the team to go and do it again next year. If he wanted to, like if he's if, like, they, they, if they can play the way they played this year, they a lot of returning players. It's a young group. They're going to be good again. And I think he likes that. I think to make a, a jump back to the NHL for Patrick Waugh needs to be the right situation and it needs to be the right team. He's not going to go to some team like, you know, the Anaheim ducks who are looking to rebuild. That's just not the, tr he's just not interested in that. He, he is going to be looking for like, and I also don't think you see him in like New York. I don't think he yeah. wants to be in that kind of 
market. The only big market he would, I think, go to would be Montreal. And if it doesn't work out with Martin Saint-Louis here in the next year, that's where I would be looking a year away from now of saying, do they make a big splash? We know how important it is to that community that it be a Quebecois coach. They have to be, there's such an, there's just something so culturally important about who it is and how it is there. And if this team continues to struggle, that's the kind of move an owner would make to try to tell its fan base, look, we care. We want to make a big splashy, shiny move. He's clearly succeeded in Quebec. His family's in Quebec. He coaches and owns his team in Quebec. He's important to the community in Quebec. That would be like, here's Patrick Waugh, St. Patrick, the savior coming to try to take us to the promised land kind of move. <laughs> too much. That also <laughs> Patrick Waugh would go for. Patrick Waugh would go for, right? Hold he wants on. that kind of I, I would say I don't hate that storyline, and there is a storyline there, but as long as Dylan Vignon does not have a coaching job, he is always up next ahead, definitely ahead of Patrick Waugh for the Montreal Canadiens job. And, and, and that might be the case too, but he was available when Martin Saint-Louis was hired. That's right. That's right. So yeah. all I'm trying to say is I think that for me, Martin Saint-Louis is the same thing. That is a flashy move. That is a, yeah. a sexy move that Montreal wants and likes, and that's what their fan base gets up for, and will sell tickets. Mark, Patrick Waugh on the bench sells tickets. Not that Montreal has a problem with that, but the point is that's the thing they think about most, right? How do we make it? Anyway, that, so that's my that would be like my hot take on that, but I really think that that's the fit for, for, for where he is. That's the same reason he went back to Colorado. His first coaching gig was with a team that he knew he had a relationship with, and it fit. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to go coach, you know, the Florida Panthers. Is it is you Aikens how- done? Aikens is done, I think. You don't I, think he does a Marley's connection with Dubis and uh I don't know. What, what I would say about Aikens is I think that he's really respectable around the league. People really like him. I think he can consult and have jobs in the NHL for a really long time, but I think it'll be a bit of he'll have, he has a bit of a wait now before he comes back. Um, you know, I don't I, I this is a really fun conversation because I I actually think like where Patrick Waugh just remember how good he was until he absolutely wasn't like the, yeah. the, it was like, he was so polarized in terms of his success that I, I'm looking forward to um, Patrick Waugh coming back to the NHL. I think Montreal, what about, Hey, the Quebec Nordiques team, the first year. Not happening. Yeah, not happening. Be epic. It'd be not incredible. Happening. I mean, that happening. would be the narrative I want. It's not happening. They're not, not going to, he'll buy, not get he'll buy team. the team. They won't he'll get their the team. Nordiques. They're not getting their team. If Phoenix moves, it's moving to Houston. Or yeah, I don't Kansas think it's City soon. or Salt Lake City, frankly. <laughs> Those are three ahead of Quebec. Not the only way Quebec gets a, a, a hockey team back is is when Gary Bettman is no longer the commissioner. All right, that's topic one. Let's leave it there. Creativity has the power to take our breath away, to move us to action or reaction, to invite us to feel more fully alive. And when the creativity is coming out of the kitchen of a local restaurant, the experience has the power to do all of the above and put a smile on your face. Q Burger in Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island is home to culinary creativity led by owners Aaron and Kevin. Together they have managed to make a local burger joint a must stop on any trip up the central coast of the island. In fact, readers of Canadian Living Magazine recently voted it one of the top five burger restaurants in Canada. And if you're saying, yeah, but a burger joint's a burger joint, 
Then let me ask you, what other burger joint allows you to choose between a Boomageddon, all caps, with double the beef, double the bacon, and double the cheese, and Wicked Sticky, where the roasted chicken breast is topped with balsamic reduction, roasted garlic, and fried brie, or the new Sonic Pickle Boomerito, yep, with an exclamation point. And if meat is not your treat, consider a Brock of Ages, the Thai Tuna Tornado Wrap, or halibut and chips caught fresh from the ocean 10 minutes down the street that morning. The fish, not the chips. Put it on your bucket list. Q Burger, locally owned and operated in Qualicum Beach, BC. All right, here we go with topic two. So we, uh, we, we played in the fantasy world of speculation. Now let's get down to what's really going on. We've got two championship rounds occurring. Uh, we've kind of been pairing them together uh, for the last couple episodes. Why, why, why should we change anything now? So we've got the NBA finals, obviously, between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. That series is now tied at two, one apiece after two. A very dominant first game for the Nuggets. It was funny, Braden. You know how often in basketball games you get to the last kind of like three or four minutes of a, a lopsided game and the commentators start doing the promos for the next game and you're kind of in garbage time and they're trying to fill because they're just like, we know people are already starting to it's switch so the fun. channels to something else. That started in like the seven minute mark of the third quarter of game one. Like it was like already wow. they were teasing. Oh, don't worry. Miami will punch back in game two. It's like, you know, they've got still like 40 minutes to play here, but they no, it was over. Uh, very solid. The other the other really funny one for me I've been enjoying is all of the hot takes from everybody going, wow, I think Jokic might actually be a star in this league one day. It's like one day he's a two time MVP. Where have you been living under Late a rock? Round, second round pick. Even, That's even guys like Mike Wilbon are. on PTR are like, yeah, Jokic has finally arrived. It's like finally <laughs> arrived after two seasons of MVP. And you know what I mean? Like, sure, he hasn't necessarily had the guys around him, but like, come on, get out of here. He's been good for a long time. You guys just don't pay any attention to Denver. But I'll tell you the difference. When Jamal Murray's not playing with him, he is a different Jokic. He's a two-time MVP. Because sure, he has to do him. everything. But when Jamal That's Murray's basketball. with him, it's... No, I'm just saying that this duo is I, oh, yeah. seriously, seriously, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, under, uh, under yeah, underappreciated, underappreciated, underappreciation. underappreciation. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, let's jump to, so we'll talk, we can talk about that one as well, but let's also talk about the NHL one. We've got the Vegas Golden Knights versus the Florida Panthers. Uh, did you watch game one? Yeah, can we talk just before we get into game one? What the hell is going on with the NHL and the schedule and these massive breaks between rounds? Like, is it to keep up with the NBA? I don't get it. Like, it's, it's, they, they, this series should have started like four days ago. I don't know why we had to wait until Saturday night. Like, they don't want it to be over, Elliot. They don't want it to be over. But like, I think they might because their ratings are (laughs) the worst they've ever been for finals. Game yeah, one was the lowest. Florida one Vegas. of the Stanley Cup finals was the second lowest rated game of the playoffs so far for television viewership. This is the finals. I am a I'm a I'm I'm part of a, I like I co-host a sports podcast. I had to bring myself to watch the highlights out of the side of my eye while I was at a bar on Saturday night because I have so little interest left in what's going on. This should have started way way long ago. You know, when they when there was time, when there was excitement, when there was still stuff going on. They waited too long, and I think that's enough that I get it's two boring teams and blah, 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 and it's the States. But I think what's damaging their ratings and can't go unsaid is they've just been waiting way too long in between rounds for this stuff. 
if they waited this long and it was the Oilers in the finals, would you be feeling the same way? No, because I, you know, <laughs> love them to have the rest. Right? <laughs> if there's something going on, but it is interesting. The Florida the Panthers didn't play for ten days. Yeah, like, that's, that's that's a long time. That's long, long time. Than but it does feel. Break. It does feel usually like there is a bigger break before the finals because there's a lot more media going on. There's a lot more hype kind of swelling around the presentation of it, if you will. But 10 days is, is yeah, that, that gets you out of rhythm for sure. So we uh, we obviously had to wait last week to to finally know who was in there because we were waiting for the, the, the Vegas um, Dallas series to finish and we ended up with the Vegas Golden Knights. So we've made our picks for this round. As you look at, I mean, we're a game in already, but as you look at it and how these two teams match up, like, is this like, is this where the Florida Panthers sort of Cinderella run ends? Like, or is Vegas just the one team here that's really be- built to do this differently than the teams in the East they've faced? Cause it feels like Vegas just right now has this kind of, like calm confidence that the other, like when Boston went in there, obviously they were kind of just shook and surprised by what they got hit with, with Florida. That was the, the big shocker. Toronto, I think went in there just sort of on the momentum train. And then for me, Carolina just was a year away from being really ready to experience wise. Now you've got a team that's been there for a lot of, you know, core pieces, Marsha. So uh, Petrangelo's obviously won a Stanley cup. Like you've just got this different level of experience here that they're playing against. And I, I would argue right now the best coach in the playoffs. Uh, well, you got two of the best coaches because I think Paul Maurice has been great too. But coaching wise, he's just got such a strong system, um, uh, Cassidy in 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 Vegas. For me, it just feels different. You know what I mean? Like this feels like the first time the Florida Panthers don't have that kind of swagger of the wily underdog who's just not afraid of anybody. It feels a little bit now like they they the pressure might finally be arriving. I definitely agree. Uh, the pressure's starting. I don't think that they're. I don't think that this is going to affect them the same way in terms of their play style. Like Florida's Florida had a lot of pressure in that game still. And Bobrovsky is undoubtedly the best goalie in the playoffs this year. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing that I, I think you've touched on something that's really interesting and that I kind of love about the Stanley Cup playoffs more so than anything else is that when you get to the fourth round, you no longer can call yourself an underdog. And I think that Kachuk and the Florida Panthers have really gone into every series being like, oh, we shouldn't be here. Whoa, wow, what an upset. Um, This is the time when everyone's counting against us. Well, you've won three rounds, two of them pretty decisively. I don't think you're an underdog anymore, even up against this thing. And you can see the tone is different. Look, I don't think they're going to be pushovers. They remind me of a team that we don't like to talk about, but – the 06 Oilers, right? A couple guys really hot, really good goalie, making a run against a much more experienced team uh, in the finals. And I think this could go long. Um, but uh, right now, I think that the tone and tenor is different. What will be very telling and very interesting is like we saw tonight in the NBA and what Miami was able to do, is Florida able to punch back in game two? Game two is very important. And that will be very, that will be very telling. Yeah. I think that that's kind of why I asked, because I feel like for Florida, it, this is really where the rubber finally hits the road. They, they have to, they have to uh, not only play with the, they have, they haven't had pressure. They've always had nothing to lose kind of thing. You know, they've come into every single game going, we're lucky to be here. We're happy to be here. We weren't expecting to be here. Let's go. 
and 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 the other teams they were facing. I think once they were I don't down, think that's in not series, pressure though. No, I think it's just different though. Like when the Edmonton Oilers are in any single playoff round, there's a different level of pressure because of the expectations that are on that team and those players. When you're the Florida Panthers and you're coming into the playoffs, your fan base of whatever it is, is already thinking it's gravy. It's great. This is fun. This is great. We're here. We're happy. There isn't the media pressure. There isn't the local scrutiny. There isn't any of that stuff. You are the Don't small you believe team the pressure for them market. to win is greater because those other no, teams are better? Not at all. No, not at all. Because again, those other teams have all of this additional media coverage, all of this additional uh, fan pressure. And the, you know, there's parties in the streets. There's multiple block parties going on in Toronto, in Edmonton, in Calgary, wherever, even in, even frankly, even in like cities like, like Boston where hockey matters because of like 30, 50, 80 year old generation of, of hockey fans who have built a culture around what that team is. Florida doesn't have that. I'm sorry. They don't, right, but that they doesn't change diehard players. No, I think, think it does though, Those because they're not still... turning on their TV every single day in their yeah. home market and getting inundated with talk, yeah. talk about them. They're not, they're hearing about the heat. They're not hearing, they're probably hearing more about baseball, frankly, in, in sunrise Florida than they are about the Florida Panthers. I'm sorry. And I'm not trying to, you know, degrade the sports fans in that community. I'm sure there's lots of them out there. They're selling out. They're in the finals. They should be excited. They've been to the finals once before as an organization. And they, I know that people care, but the point is they don't register. There are, I, if you were to poll American sports fans across the country and ask them to name like 10 NHL teams. No one is throwing the Florida Panthers in there yeah, during the regular sure. season as a team that jumps to mind, right? They're just sure. not one of those markets is what I guess I'm trying to say. And that's the difference. So when they so get it, and neither is Vegas. Forever, frankly, the Florida Panthers pressure is correct. I don't think the pressure, I think to that win the, the Stanley cup. Sure. But that's what I'm saying. Now they're here. This is the first time that they're the attention is on them, that sure. they are the, they are as big a part of the narrative as the opponent is. Vegas is the number one team in, in Vegas because it got there first, right? Obviously, during football season, it's all Raiders. But Vegas was there first. This was this, or the Golden Knights were there first. They are Vegas' pro team. And what yeah. I'm trying to say is, from that perspective, you know, they have a different level of pressure all the time. But it's not the same as some of these ma major markets. And those are the type of teams Florida knocked off. They beat the freaking Boston Bruins, Toronto Maple Leafs, and then even in Carolina, the there's a different expectation. Teams. That's a Stanley Cup. That's a Stanley Cup championship team. But that's what I guess yeah. I'm saying. Is it's yeah. just different. And I do wonder if that changes what what this and the stakes feel higher. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I agree with you for different reasons. It's not about the teams. Or it's not about how valued the team is in its current market. The pressure changes because you're an, you're an eighth seed and you knocked off everyone up until this point, and now all of a sudden you've knocked off three really good teams. You're no longer an underdog anymore. You're going, you're the best team in the East and you're going up against the best team in the West yeah, and sure. on paper, it's a coin flip. It may not be, but that's, that's the change in this round. And I think that, so, that changes the perspective, you know, let's apply the same logic then to the NBA finals just for a second. Cause we brought them in here together. You've got two very different markets too. I guess the question is this, the, the Denver nuggets all playoffs long have used the, the narrative that I even kind of teased off the top, which is like, nobody cares about us. Nobody's paid attention to us. Nobody knows how good we really are. Right. Even there, I mean, ha hasn't their coach been continually saying every time he's been sort of pressured on like, 
are, you know, you're exceeding a lot of people's expectations, you know, and he kind of puts the stat lines in front of people. I think it was during the Lakers series. It was, you know, they were up, what, two, nothing, three, nothing already in that series. And the media is coming at them being like, wow, I wonder when the Lakers are finally going to turn this around instead of being like, wow, the Lakers are being absolutely pummeled by the Denver Nuggets right now. And he, I think his exact quote was something like, yeah, well, they can stick that in their pipe and smoke it. And it, the, the, the point of it is they can ride that narrative for so long too, but now you're in the finals. People have noticed you're a legitimate contender. Obviously you can't play the, Oh, shucks. We're just happy to be here card and Oh, shucks. Everyone's underappreciated and underestimated us card anymore. You're a favorite. You're the favorite out of, you know, the, the, the West. That's the truth. And Miami coming from a bigger market, multiple time champion, different fan base. You know, there's a different there's different stakes from that perspective. Obviously, I think it's a different thing than the NHL because Denver is a very serious sports market and does care about the Nuggets in many ways. But I think it's just been different. You know what I mean? And the pressure is different for a guy who's been a two time MVP and has to get his you know his chip. So um, should we announce our picks here real quick before we move forward? Uh, let's do the NBA one. We are obviously already into the series, so it's kind of cheating. But we we I think we all made our picks ahead of time. Braden, uh, who do you have and in how many games? Um, I've made multiple picks over the course of this. <laughs> uh, play. I'll just pick whatever the opposite of what Braden says. But I'm quite okay. sure that if you look back as you're scrolling through our 99 episodes, um, that I think around 80, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But earlier to begin the season, I would have predicted the Denver Nuggets winning the whole thing this year. Um, oh, the I'm series is 2-2. Two, two. We already know that. But, but how many games? I'm going to say six. Sorry, one, 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 one after two. That's one, one. Yeah. But I do think six. I I predicted uh, five in the other series. And after that team went down, a little, a little runway would be, would be nice. And I think it's going to be still quite a battle here between the two teams. All right. Uh, I'll take Denver in seven. I think that Miami showed us in that Boston series that they're capable of two things. One uh, blowing leads but equally being competitive and fighting to the, to the last second of every game. And I think that they'll do the same thing here. They, they, they are a scrappy team. They are led by some very talented and experienced players and they'll have Denver pushed around a little bit, but I think Denver has the pieces and Jokic is just the best player in the world this year. So he'll, he'll uh, get them another chance or he'll get them their first championship. I should say, Elliot, who do you have? Yeah, I'm cheering. I, I'm cheering for Denver because I like to see them win their first championship. I will take Miami to be the contrarian here. Sure. Um, and uh, you know that's not based on nothing. They've got some players coming back that were hurt earlier in the playoffs, so they're going to get stronger, presumably. Um, uh, like, um, Kyle Lowry. <laughs> we do like Kyle Lowry. We also so, like Jamal. I, I like Kyle Lowry. Kitchener, hey, hold on. He's won a championship. <laughs> he's won a championship. He's got championship pedigree. I don't think there's a sport. I would even say there's a there, there isn't a sport that where that's more important than basketball. Even hockey, I would say. I think having someone that's done it before on a basketball team does change your entire dynamic. And they've got him. Um, anyway, it's a long shot. I cheer for Denver, but I'll pick Miami in six. All right, let's jump to the NHL side of it. I know we made our picks already here, Elliot. You have them there for us. Do you want to remind us what our picks were? Yeah, so I'll update you on the standings from the playoffs. Right yes, please. Now. Heading into round four, the final round, Jordan, you have five points. Braden, you have six points, and I lead with nine points. I can't be caught, so I'll be the champion of the playoffs this year. But you two are still close. Oh, so, anticlimactic. 
Congratulations. As Does this mean we can stop talking about it? Dante Pulling. This finals is boring. Yeah, we don't shit. even have to pick. Uh, so we should pick MVP. Finals MVP. Right, we'll do that too. We'll do that too at the end of this. So between the two of you, uh, Jordan, you have Vegas in six. Braden, you have Florida in five. I took Florida in six because it's a fun pick for me. Um, and I will take, based on my pick, I am going to take Sergey Bobrovsky to be the playoffs MVP. Yeah. I, I, win I, or lose? Win or lose. Woo! The Jaguar. He might pull the Jaguar. I also wow. think that happens, Elliot, frankly. I mean, uh, Tanti Polling has been pretty pretty right this year if you go back through all of our episodes. And uh, I, I got to stick with you, buddy. Bobrovsky. He's been insane, man. And fortunately, he's been playing to the contract he was signed to. Finally. Yeah. Yeah, and he I'm didn't sorry. start. The I, I don't. I. 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 Okay. So here's the thing. First off, I don't think a player from the opposite team is winning. Regardless, I think the Consmite final, the Consmite trophy, will go to a player from the winning team, regardless of which team it is. Period. It, the only time it's ever been different was Jaguar, and Jaguar was set like NHL records for goaltending that year. Like that's un. I'm sorry, Bobrovsky's not there. It's not the same. It's just not the same. He, if they win, it's not. That that would be why. He no, I don't agree. I don't agree. I I I think that you also have to think about who votes for this trophy and and and, and why they vote for this trophy. It's the same thing with MVP. It's like people are always like, oh well, it's, it should be pretty obvious. It's like no, because they're, they're these are human beings who are voting that are fallible, dumb, and in many cases very biased. And here's the key piece of all of that. The people who are voting for this like a story. And the Bobrovsky story has been written a hundred times. How many times have we seen a goalie get hot in the playoffs? The story that hasn't been written is the story of a guy who wins three games in a row, two of them in overtime and one of them with 30 seconds left in the in in, in a round. In a, in a series that saw a five-round overtime game, he won it, threw his hands up in the air and skated off the ice. He did that three nights in a row. You had him with more game-winning goals than anybody else in the playoffs, leading a Cinderella story. If the Florida Panthers win the Stanley Cup, this trophy is being handed to Matthew Kachuk, period. It's because the bias of the narrative is too much for the writers who vote on this shit. I'm sorry. It's just, Frank? whether it's right Frank? or not, that's what I will just, happen. I just still don't like him. So I'm going And I don't like him either. <laughs> I don't like him either, but that's the story. And they like the drama of it. He's I a like character story, man. I, and I'm, I, 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 he's just too low profile. It doesn't matter. The second part for me is again, it's going to go to one or the other team. So if we're really picking here, you've got to pick one from both teams or you've already cut yourself in half. So I'll do that. So I have a chance to win. I picked Vegas to win the Stanley Jesus. cup and someone from Vegas will hoist that trophy. And frankly, wow. I think as yeah. uh, I think it's probably going to be a forward who scored a bunch of goals. Cassidy. Yeah. Stone. Stone. It's probably Mark. Stone. Mark. Stone. Mark. It's probably Mark. Stone for captain. fighting through the injury. I think it's probably Stone. that. It's, it's, either him, like, yeah. it's either him or it's either him or it's the injury that he couldn't play until game one of the yeah, playoffs. With that extra cap space. Jack Eichel's um, pretty close on the points. Listen, Jack you know, Eichel was okay, if we're going to take pick, two, but... I'm going to say... Uh, oh, wait a minute. I thought you said he was going to win it no matter who won. What is this? You reminded Elliot. For my second pick, I'm going to take Joe Pavelski for coming back. <laughs> oh, Jesus. 
I still want him to win the cup, man. And I really, really want Joe Pavelski to win the Coming cup. Coming back from that career ending <laughs> You know what? If that career were the ending. rules, if it was all about like who really was the best player in the playoffs, then Evander Kane should have won last year, considering he didn't even play last in the finals year. and still had he was still tied overall for points. Dry should have won this by year. the end of it. Yeah, he and he would have. <laughs> all right, uh, that's topic two. This is only the second topic. <laughs> The Ordinary Podcasting Network is excited to announce that we have launched a merch store on our website. The store is full of ordinary swag, including t-shirts, hoodies, and hats. You can pick out something awesome and support your favorite podcast today by heading over to OrdinaryPodcasts.com. All right, we're going to do hats off here uh, real quick because that went long. Uh, Elliot, you want to tell us who you're tipping your hat to this week? Better not be Sergey Bobrovsky, my God. No, no. Uh, Alana Sharp. Uh, I've been following a lot of golf. So this weird thing happened where I had to spend the long weekend in Calgary because of work. And so I had access to the golf channel and sort of fell in love with women's golf. Man, the golf channel, after the w, after the WNBA and the NBA, in terms of highlighting women's sports, golf might be, and the PGA Tour might be next. Uh, there were some really interesting and cool events that you could watch on the golf channel. Uh, related to women's college golf and so I've been enjoying you know enjoyed watching that and and so that's been something I've been thinking about recently Canadian Elena Sharp won the uh, four change invitational on the Epson tour this weekend so my hat goes off to her Uh, excellence in Canadian female athletics all right Braden who are you taking your hat off to Giving my hat off to Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who's finally retiring after 21 seasons. Uh, maybe. legend. Yeah, maybe. They always come <laughs> and go, but he's officially announced for retirement. And Zlatan, um, one, of those, one of those athletes that just embodies his first name, and that's the identity, uh, the legend that he creates. A very polarizing player in his time. Tip my hat. And have either of you watched the last season of Ted Lasso yet? I have. Yeah. Zlava, isn't it? Zarva. Zava. Zava, whatever it is. Like without like the most plagiarized uh, uh <laughs> inspired. Uh, plagiarized. What do you mean? Inspired. Anyway, it, it's a ripoff of Ibrahimovic. It's very funny. Of course it's, it is. It's life so imitating art because he retires partway through that season, and so too now is Lothan. Uh that's a good pick, Braden. Um Mine is going to be a bit more tongue firmly planted in cheek here. Uh, I'm taking my hat off to, without question, the most like unadulterated, full of shit human being I've ever met in my entire life. But he does it with such confidence. And when he sits down at a microphone and he talks about how they're fully committed and truly believe that this will still work, he does so with no air of self-awareness with no sense of irony and with no real respect or dignity for the sport for which he is the commissioner gary batman my hat is off to you for once again sitting down and somehow without like without even a blush in your cheek suggesting that you are still fully committed to the phoenix coyotes being in arizona the idea that they that he has the <laughs> unadulterated goal to tell me that he is still looking for another permanent home somewhere oh in the goodness. Phoenix area. You have exhausted every single community. If there the is not a more, dry, man. <laughs> if there is not a more blatantly clear uh, 
sign that you need that this team belongs somewhere else, that this community does not care, does not want them, will not pay for your freaking arena, doesn't, do, it doesn't, they are irrelevant, period. Completely and utterly irrelevant. You have players who are currently on that roster who are asking to be bought out, literally willing to walk away for nothing to get out of there because it is a shit dumpster fire inside of a fucking waste. Like it is so bad. And Gary Batman is sitting there suggesting that it will still work. We're still working with them. We're not going to give up. This team is, they have, he has turned down people who had money to try to buy them. This team almost went to Hamilton in the early aughts under Jim ball silly. And he said no, because they believed it should stay in Arizona. They have had gambling crises where you literally had a coach at this hockey team. Who now ironically coaches another hockey team in this charged with gambling on hockey. You had the debacle of the Gretzky ownership that went sideways and had to go through court to get rid of. You had ownership here who didn't pay rent for two and a half years in a huge stadium that they were in and literally were evicted, yeah. evicted. And now you are having them play in a college rink that has less people in it on average than not only any NHL team, but any professional hockey team. There are more people attending like MLS soccer games in, in small communities like fucking Utah in Salt Lake City than an NHL freaking hockey game. It's ridiculous. Wow. It's insulting. It's degrading to the entire league. And Gary Bettman, you sit up there on a throne of lies. And my hat goes off to you for somehow doing so with no shame and no, uh, absolutely no, uh, guilt for what you've done to this sport. Wow. I feel like I should, if I was a Coyotes fan in, in Arizona, um, I would certainly be happy with that. He's literally gone to all ends to try and keep the team there. And I think we should never have been there. But I think we all sometimes forget we were young, but there was a time when the Edmonton Oilers' future in Edmonton was... Oh, don't start this out. The Phoenix Coyotes are a stolen franchise. The Phoenix Coyotes are a stolen franchise. They were the Winnipeg Jets. Look what happened to the fans in Winnipeg. They got their team back because they belonged there in the first place. And he should never have moved them. I don't even, I don't need, it's not even this sport defense. Imagine being a fan in Oakland. See, these are different situations. No, 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 no. We're turning this into a topic now. We're turning this into a topic This, this, and I appreciate that. I'm sure that there are a handful of Coyote fans. I get that. But they are a handful because if there were more of them, they would be selling out buildings and they would be keeping their team. The truth is there isn't a market for it there. And yes, the small number of fans that are there deserve to have a hockey team that they love and care about, but it should be an AHL team. That is the size of market for that Ooh, sport runners. in that community. I'm sorry. That's the truth. Jordan, I, I the, can guarantee. The audacity of the NHL to try to demand that these small communities around Phoenix pay for an arena is ridiculous to begin with. And it's I not going to happen. I will continue cities to that want for him. And whether or not he's the team stays in Arizona or they move to another franchise, like <clears throat> Quebec, everyone will always continue to boot for them. So True. I also because tip my hat. That's how it works. But, <laughs> but he is, 
he it's just it's he's just maintaining his identity by you it's his legacy the arizona coyote situation is gary batman's legacy period it isn't anything else about the sport it isn't growing it's, it in unique markets it isn't the fact that you've got freaking florida and the vegas golden knights in a final that is not your legacy your legacy is the absolute and utter train wreck that has been the entire existence of the phoenix slash arizona coyotes period oh, I end of wait until gary batman leaves and we do it we do i completely disagree with that as a legacy of gary batman there Okay, we got to end this. We got to end this. But this is, you have crossed the line, buddy. Wow, I didn't expect to see Elliot Tanti wearing a vote for Batman pin, but somehow he is just absolutely. You're the one that took your hat off to him. Yeah, incredibly sarcastically and unironically, <laughs> like everything he's ever done. All right, that's our show for the day. Uh, thank you for listening. As we said, this is our 99th episode. We will be back next week to celebrate the century mark. Where Gary uh, Bettman will be our be- special guest. Oh, God. Our let's grandfather get him used on board. to name him that dink of a man. Yeah, that <laughs> dink of a man indeed. Look, uh, we appreciate your uh, loyalty and listenership. If you've joined us at episode 98 or you joined us at episode one, no matter how long you've been with us, we appreciate it. We will have you back next week for uh, our 100th celebration. Uh, We also, of course, on the network this week have a new episode of Pit Stop because they've been running races back to back to back. Um, uh, The Barcelona uh, Grand Prix, or I guess it's not the Barcelona, the Catalonia Grand Prix uh, took place this weekend. We'll talk about that tomorrow or Tuesday. Uh, Pardon me. Uh, with Tyler Walzak and myself on the Pit Stop podcast. Also, last week, if you missed it, uh, the Ellipses Thinking podcast had a great interview with Bob Boniel, designer, director, production designer. Fantastic conversation. If you're interested in that, please go check that out. You can find out more about this show, that show, and all of our shows on the Ordinary Podcasting Network's website, which is ordinarypodcasts.com. Until next week, that was Hatcher. Patrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.